I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I am director of the Fifth Element. Where I highlight Fifth Element hip hop with knowledge. We don't believe you, cause we the people. <laughs> I'm standing in the rear, and we don't need you. Album is crazy. Fuck. You know what? It makes me think like what it would have been like to be, you know, like coming up when they were putting out music, you know, in the mainstream in the early nineties. Like it would just would have been crazy. eh? Like I don't know. I just would have experiencing those albums. Experiencing an album when it drops, like an iconic album. You know, just that moment. It's just there's nothing else like it. It would have been so great. But yeah. Yeah, I really have. I really have those like moments where like I remember like exactly where I was when this dropped, kind of thing. Like I, I don't. Um, but I, I remember if I've like copped it, and I'm like mm. uh, the the feeling of getting it, like mm. getting it delivered to me, like as a hard copy. Then I'm just like, oh, the, yeah, that feeling feels so good. Um, the only one I can think of at the moment is like when I listened to Dan for the first time when that dropped. I was I was just oh, that was a midnight drop, and I was just like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking melted on my bed. That was fun. That was a fun fucking night. All right. Hi, Ben. How's your week been? What have you listened to this week? This week, I got into uh, only three projects. So I listened to YNJ and YSR Grams, uh, Flint Tropics. And the production on this goes wild, wild, man. I was listening to it last night. Uh, I was playing FIFA. And I've got a hardwood floor in my room. And I've got... um, what do they call them? Sub subwoofers. Subwoofers. I don't know why I blanked on that. Yeah. And fucking hell, it was just shaking my floor. I'm like, I could, you know, when you go to a concert and you can feel the bass in your body. I couldn't feel it in my body, but I could feel it through the floor. I was like, wow, this is really well produced. Whatever they did on this, please keep doing it because it is amazing. It's very addictive. This album. I kept running it back. Uh, it's solid. Very enjoyable. Uh, Jamal Gasol, Gasol. I'm, I apologize if I uh, did not say that name correctly. The Ghost of Fritz Deluxe. I missed this on the initial drop because this is obviously the Deluxe. I don't even, uh, I didn't even clock when this originally came out, but I'm really glad I caught it. Uh, we got 38 Special, Rome Streets, Big Twins as guests. So that's the kind of time that it's on. Uh, big boom bap feel. His vocals really feel like they could they could just pop up on the infamous or something like that. You know, it's it's very hard edge, it's that kind of vibe. It's always interesting and engaging. I felt like the content was this blend of like early two thousands consumerism alongside tales about hardship and a lot of knowledge drops. Uh, a lot of like, you know, what I've been through and this is, you know, I'm I'm giving you some I don't know, just some knowledge about what I've been through and how to get through it. Really top tier project again. I really enjoyed that. Uh, and Westside Tut, Don't Let Go To Deluxe, another one I missed on the initial drop, but I caught it on the Deluxe. Um, I think it must be affiliated with T Grizzly and Sada Baby because they both pop up on this. T Grizzly's got two verses and he, he slays them and definitely has that energy. You know, even though he 
is born and raised in the Bay Area. It has that Michigan feel. And, and I feel like, you know, last year I was talking quite a lot about Michigan and all these new artists that were coming out of there. I feel like they lost momentum and I could be completely off on that, but they just stopped popping up on my radar. But this is right back into that, man. That's right back into that. Cascading pianos, emotional, heartfelt lyrics. And it's this flow that the rapper kind of sounds like they're falling over themselves. You know, I always marvel at that, but they can keep this up for an entire verse. Like I would trip over my own tongue. I don't know how they do it. It's like they're they're sprinting, but they look like they're stumbling at the same time. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's just like, it's very quick. It's very insistent. And yeah, I listened to that twice through with no skips. You know, it's, uh, I really enjoyed that project. So I didn't get into a lot this week, but what I got into, there's not a lot out. To be, to be fair, you know, it's early in the year. Um, we haven't had a mm-hmm. big ticket release yet this year. So just waiting on that. Mm. But yeah, no, good good stuff. All good stuff this week. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I finally got in some uh, 2021 projects. The, the, the quest has begun. Uh, had four this week. Uh, all very, very different from each other, to be honest. And I kind of like that variety. Uh, started off my 2021 release with my friend of five, E. Nep. Hi, uh, villains! Oh my gosh, bro, he's done it again. He's done it a fucking again. Um, this this is so heat. This is so heat. Uh, the just the feature list of Rip, Dizzy Wright, Casey Veggies, Conway and Boldy James on one track. Memnock, Dizzy Wright, Casey Veggies again. Blue McJenkins, Planet Asia on one track. Imano Mari on some real solid fucking just soulful, just like mm, just oh, like two tracks in one kind of thing madness blue and med on another track as well uh yeah man there's there's like three tracks i'm putting on my regular rotation immediately charismatic discreet money uh yo as well and uh yeah man the, the production's just so nice man like i don't know how i don't know how he does it but like he just managed to manages to incorporate just a lot of a lot of good things uh and make him just so smoothly like connect together and they just all gel uh, even with like the Conway and Boldy James one one hundred racks, which you know is very Griselda vibey, um, but he has his just sig- signature like little just little little flavor on it. I mean, it's, it sounds Griselda-ish, but there's a little bit of Napier flavor on that. Um, and I love the just the overall concept of like you know villains and uh, the 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 many I guess samples you want if you want to call them just like uh, you know just like from films or whatever don't know where you get them from but like uh, yeah it's just <laughs> they just hit the they just hit the mark every time and they uh, they always come up at the end of the track and uh, yeah, it just it just keeps you in that um it keeps you in that world he's building here it's a great world build um as a uh, for a producer as well so uh, yeah man 31 minutes just press press play fucking vibe out uh, Jasmine Sullivan, Hotels, H-E-A-U-X, Hotels. Um, <laughs> this one's fun. <laughs> it's a fun listen uh, for a dude anyway. For us, it's a fun listen. But I feel like for the women out there, it'd be uh, you. You can get in, in your feels with this one. I, I, I can. I can imagine. Um, there's a, you know, it's just a mix of, um, uh, you know, that that that. that of uh what's the what's the word i'm like interludes of um people delivering their tales on certain things because hotels is you know they, they you get certain people ari lennox uh, being the most notable uh about um just 
Everyone was just asking on Twitter, who do you think Ari was talking about? <laughs> it's just it's just so funny. If you've heard it, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's just mad fascinating. But uh, yeah, man, uh, she, Ari Lennox actually does feature on here, and so does Anderson Pack. Great tracks on there. Uh, her as well on the last track, the nice little acoustic number. And uh, yeah, man, it's just a real real womanhood kind of kind of kind of album we're like you know talking about uh your own sexuality uh taking uh independence in your sexuality etc etc uh so yeah man if you're if you're a woman you want to get in them feels go for it man it's all good uh it's like a fascinating one so this is one of those ones i got emailed and i was just like go on then why not uh aging rapper vex uh before the book of daniel all right this one's interesting because like the only negative I'll give, uh, and the constructive negative I'll give, right, to this is uh, it, it's mixed not very well. It, so, it sounds like uh, it sounds like it's behind the screen, like it just, it just there's, a, there's a little bit of flatness to it. And it's not exactly in your in your face, if that makes any sense in your ears. Um, but apart from that, <laughs> performance is so it's so eclectic. It's like streets eclecticness, where like, uh, but he's actually you know, uh, rapping in, you know, a lot of different flows, constantly changing, you know, chip, chip chopping, uh, going fast, going slow. It's, it's very, it's very erratic. Uh, and the bars are actually really good. Uh, and, uh, it's, re- it's real nice. It's, it's an hour long, which, um, you know, uh, you can take it or leave it on that front. But uh, yeah, man, it's, 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 it's an interesting album. <laughs> it's actually quite fascinating. Uh, just having like a British artist that, um, just talking like that. And, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's very it's very eccentric. I will say that for sure. But shout out to him, uh, DJ Cosm, uh, C O S M, uh, Natural Within. Uh, this is nice. This is such a nice album. I really enjoyed this one. Uh, there's a lot of features on here. Um, the only two, there's only like two I two names I gathered, uh, Sadat X and uh, Anti Lily. But there are plenty more, plenty, plenty more on here. There's a lot of names. Um, and uh, yeah, man, they all do their job. To be honest, it's ten tracks, thirty-three minutes, so you know it's not too, uh, it's not too strenuous. But um, I just love the, I just love the blend the DJ Cosm has on here, like from from beat to beat. I feel like if you have DJ in your name, the the blend from trend to tr- uh, from track to track has to be so buttery smooth. I feel like that's a prerequisite if you're a DJ. You know, what I mean, if you're doing it in a club, like if, if if that kind of DJ, right? If you're doing it in the club, I feel like you should do it with your music. You know what I mean? But um, I don't feel like many people, many DJs, they have DJs in the name do that. Uh, but uh, shout out to DJ Cosm on that one because uh, they really just set the tone uh, a lot. And uh, yeah, the beats are real nice. I really enjoyed it. And uh, everything, everything from the features as well, everyone did their thing. Can't complain. And with that said, we shall hop straight in. Oh, 10 minutes. There you go. That's nice and short. Oh, we do uh, well. Hopping back in to part two of um, our uh, Tribe Called Quest retrospective and uh yeah this one's gonna be like i said last week i think this one's gonna be very interesting i have some interesting thoughts on uh, the three albums in particular i also not to um not to give it away immediately because i'd rather do it at the end but um i have like kind of a a poetic i guess a metaphor for for like a tribe called quest as a whole um i kind of I, I just i just gained the thought of it while um like uh, listen to that uh, Go Ahead in the Rain audiobook that I mentioned yesterday, uh, not yesterday, uh, last last episode. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, I feel, like there's, I feel like there's something there when I mention it, so uh, hopefully I can actually put it forward in a, a reasonable manner. But um, 
yeah, man, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Obviously, these three albums are very. Uh, uh, I feel like in the moment when they initially dropped, they had a certain feeling towards them, towards towards how people at that time felt and how they've aged um, so far. Um, uh, I feel like those two things are completely different. So from their drop to how they've aged, I feel like there's different opinions and opinions of change for better or worse um, for these three albums. So uh, yeah, with that said, as, uh, we've we've camped out in uh, Ben's research uh, house for the past week. So uh, let's uh, let's see what he's got. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to just do these three albums and then just keep it moving. I kind of wanted to think about because you know we spoke last week about Q-Tip and whether he was the creative force or whether he was kind of the the one who was doing you know 60 70 80 percent of the work and i really wanted to understand the role of all four members so i did a lot of research and it's interesting it's very interesting because I, I don't know like no one's really sat down and written this out no one's really sat down and collated all this and, and written an article on it so you know Q-Tip and Fife originally were, you know, well, their life, they were lifelong friends. Rest in peace to Fife. I don't even think we said that last week. Uh, you know, that is a mark of like someone who is a legend that everyone just knows. It's rest in peace, Fife forever. Like you don't even need to say it, you know, but rest in peace, Fife. Mm. Um, so Fife and Q-Tip met at church at the age of four and they grew up together in Queens. Now, Q-Tip was a battle rapper and his name was MC Lovechild, which is amazing. And he built up a bit of a reputation for himself, as did Ali. So Ali is Tribe Called Quest's DJ. Now, Ali said that he'd been DJing since before he became a teenager. So I think he said he started when he was eight. And he actually did this great interview with uh, Red Bull, that Red Bull music thing that every week, man, I don't know, I, I hate it but i love it like i don't like the moderators but oh my gosh i love the uh the interviews and the content they get out of it and yeah he said he just he started when he was really young and he actually built up a small reputation among his peers but it was large enough that q-tip who had a lot more presence in the area noticed and enlisted him to dj his performances so it was 1985 when it was q-tip and ali not q-tip and fife began recording the first Tribe Called Quest demos. Now, it was Jerobi uh, who brought Fife to the group. So Jerobi was described by Q-Tip as the spirit of the group. So Jerobi moved into the same neighborhood as the other three when he was 11. And he was introduced to Fife by a guy called Lee Bostick, who Jerobi describes as the mayor of the neighborhood. You know, the way that Jerobi talked about it, he moved in and someone said, you got to meet this guy. And Lee Bostick was kind of the person who knew everyone. And he said, I know another kid who you're going to really hit it off with. And, you know, hooked him up with Fife. And they, they apparently they didn't like each other at first, right? So I don't know, I forget why Jerobi said he didn't like Fife. But Lee Bostick persisted. And eventually, they became friends over a shared love of basketball. And it wasn't long, obviously, before they discovered each other's talents. So Fife was obviously a rapper, but Jerobi was beatboxing. So Jerobi said that he would, they would just walk down the street and Jerobi would be beatboxing and Fife would just be spitting. And, you know, that's what they did together. Um, so it was Jerobi who solidified the final iteration of Tribe because when Jerobi joined, Fife joined. And Jerobi's contributions were more spiritual than physical if you think about it like he said he was only 13 when they were cutting their first demos and 17 when recording their first album he doesn't appear vocally on the first album but he was seen as a huge part of the creative direction of the group um and 
it kind of solidified their foundation. Like people say that he was the one who came up with the idea for Left My Wallet and El Segundo. Um, so I feel like Jerobi is very important to this story. He actually left the group to go to culinary school in 1991. So that was he was only on one album. He wouldn't appear again until 2016 on Thank You For Your Service. So I think he gets forgotten a lot. He's sometimes listed in the liner notes as an occasional member. But my interpretation, having watched interviews and listened to people speak, he was the glue, Q-Tip was the brains, Ali kept the time, and Fife provided the flair. Like, Jerobi brought them all together and solidified the group. Now, I'll talk just briefly about Ali, because, you know, he was a DJ, and that's an important role in the 1980s. I was listening to an interview where he lamented the lack of DJing in hip-hop now and the lack of cuts, and I really think that, you know... DJ Premier is probably the only one that's still really doing it in the mainstream. This, yeah, well, in the main, I don't mean like in the top 10, but I mean in front of our faces, like, uh, you know, on Conway joints or Benny joints. Mad Lib sometimes as well. Uh, so Ali has co-production alongside Q-Tip. He's part of the production crew, the Umar, who produced Beats, Rhymes, and Life, and The Love Movement. And he gets writing credit on every song surprisingly he does not appear on the final album thank you for your service which is just crazy man like this the lineup is just wild the, the, the fact that Jerobi's on the final album but ali isn't like but uh ali was working on luke cage the i think it's a tv show or a movie he was doing the score and yeah he it's, wanted... a t- it's a netflix tv show it fucking right. slapped no, i've got to check that out because uh, i've read quite a lot about it and i've never watched it but um yeah, Ali wanted Soundtrack to con- boss as well. Ali wanted to contribute to the album via distance, but Q-Tep felt it was necessary for everyone to be in the same room, so he wasn't a part of it. But you know, he's a silent member of the group, almost like people forget that he was a huge part of the group. And then we get to Fife. So Fife is the closest collaborator with Q-Tip, and it was actually the fracturing of their relationship that saw the 18-year breakup. Now, there's a Michael Rappaport documentary that claims that they broke up because Q-Tip and Fife vied for control and credit of the group, but this is not the same narrative that was given by the actual group. When they broke up, they claimed it was frustration with the record label, and in years later, they've all said varying things along the lines of, you know, not many groups stay together, the music business was changing too much, people don't make albums Mm. anymore, and... The group was like a marriage, they say, where in in Q-tip, Q-Tip's words, things got a little funky. So Q-Tip probably delivered the best explanation. He said, when we started, hip-hop was more of a group thing. And then 10 years later, it was a very trendy thing, the hip-hop genre sometimes. And it was getting to be a solo man's game. And we were kind of on the outs and separating. I feel like, like I, I genuinely feel like that explanation Coupled with Rappaport's Q-Tip and Fife explanation probably go a long way to describing why the group broke up. But I really wanted to summarize that because I think it's an interesting look at the creative process and obviously Q-Tip and Fife are, you know, just there. It's it's kind of like a rock band. You know those rock bands that, you know, you love them in the early 2000s and then you check in and they've got like 12 different members and the only person <laughs> who still remains is a lead singer and you're like, wow, this is, you know, mm. what the hell is going on here? So it's kind of like that, but they never brought anyone else in except you could, you know, you could argue that Dilla was involved for two albums and that you could argue that he was part of the group or part of that revolving membership. But, um, consequence. Yeah, I mean, like, consequence. Yeah, possible too, definitely. Um, so it was, it, you know, it, it has that collective feel. I really find it fascinating that Jerobi 
didn't contribute vocally to the first album, then wasn't there for the next four, what is it, four albums? And then popped back up vocally on the final album. Like, it's just, it's so fascinating to me, man. I don't know why. I just, um, even even having dived into it and researched it and listened to interviews and stuff, I still feel like it's mysterious in some way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a real, like, I, I don't think it's uh, possible to, like, gain the fullest picture when it comes to this group and how they actually functioned and stuff like that. Cause you know, you always hear like, uh, you know, reg- regardless of their chemistry, like, uh, Fife and Tip constantly were biting heads and stuff like that. And so, you know, it's not, they're not the first and last, uh, first or the last group that have like, you know, people in the group biting heads as they're creating absolute heat. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's just interesting of how like, uh, cause, how it's laid out uh, every time people want to ask about it because <laughs> the documentary is a very a very fascinating thing um considering that obviously mike rapaport did it uh you know basically just helmed it to be honest uh so you you kind of wonder uh how <clears throat> how factual that is uh, that that documentary is because you're watching, you're just like, mm, okay, I can see, I can see the points being made here, um, but the the group the group themselves like a kind of just um, you know varying degrees of nah, not 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 exactly like that, but yeah, you know, I mean it's just there's a lot of muddy there's a lot of muddiness to it, and you know again it's not the first or last time that we have a group like uh, as such as this where you know where the where the innards are very muddy but i kind of leave i kind of like leave that most of the time especially when i go to listen to them you just cuz you just hear the music itself itself and it just sounds so like they just sound all in lockstep i mean it just sounds so uniform it just sounds like they're all just in one line, boom! Like it's, it's it's there's no there's no diversification here. There's no like people trying to be a hero or anything like that. It's just like this. This is the album. This this and it's gonna be heat regardless. Um, but yeah, so it's it's the background of this group is obviously just like the, and the backstory of them is just so it's it's so weird because because of the fact that there's so many. Um, differing stories on it uh, usually you have at least like a middle ground that you can stand firm on but literally every, literally every side of it is just so uh, just it's just so shaky about it but uh, yeah man um i don't even want to hop it help straight into beach runs in life at this point um and i kind of feel like this album is uh one of because uh, it dropped in 96 and um i'm trying to i'm like like i said before, like i said at the start like the the these three albums that we're about to talk about have very interesting uh ways to go to 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 digest them and ways to think about them i think there there's varying opinions on the, on on all three of them um and i feel like this one is kind of just always left in the dark somehow I really, I really see someone just go like, you know that Beach Rhymes and Life album? 
bro, that slaps. Or, uh, you know, that Beach Rhymes and Life album sucks. Like, I've, I've never... I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not exactly quizzing people on this. Like, going to the street going, how do you like Beach Rhymes and Life? Tragical quest. Uh, I'm not exactly, you know, interviewing people on it. But um, I just never really f- have a... Had a uh, solid ground opinion on, like, how people think about this. For me, personally... I feel like this album has so much good stuff in it. Like I feel like the hop is probably, in my opinion, uh, Fife's best verse um, out of just everything. I feel like the the verse on the hop just <laughs> fucking goes off. Like he just goes, he just goes absolutely off on it. Um, let me see if I can get up right quick. It's just a it's such a it's such a banger. It's actually one of those deep deep cuts that I actually love most more than most. Um, here we go. Yeah. You see, your career's done at Johnny Carson's. Get me vexed. Uh, get me vexed. I do like left eye. Left eye start an arson. Now that I got him out of my system, watch me stab up the track. As if my name was O.J. Simpson. Hmm. I packs it in like Van Halen. I work for mine. You, you're freeloading like K.O. Kalen. I'm representing with my crew. Mess around. Buy my rhymes. I'll be that ass with my shoe. <laughs> uh, you must be mad in the head. I bust his ass and lean on blood clap for dead. Niggas sound like dust effects. And if it ain't dust effects, then they sounding like meth. You might as well do mega death. Your punk MCs better save your freaking breath. You use a corny motherfucker. You must be high, smoking dust for Chris Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 so, it's so perfect for me because the thing I love about Five so much is the is the name drops. Like they just come out of fucking nowhere. Like the sports references, the movie references. Van Halen, Megadeth, like what? <laughs> Who's talking about Megadeth? Like it's just crazy. That's what I love about Fife. He just comes out with the most craziest name drops. Uh, I feel like it's his best uh, verse, and I feel, I love the middle of this album as well. Um, you know, from Crew, the pressure once again is bang. It's such a banger. Uh, the hop as well. Keep it moving is a very fascinating track. Obviously, it's a very uh, explicit commentary from Q-Tip about. Uh, the East Coast West Coast Wars at that point, and uh, that will get to, and I'll get to that track uh, later on. Um, you know, stressed out with Faith Evans, I really like that track. Like, it's just there's a lot to like about this album, and this is one. There's this one thing about it. Uh, I think it's on the end of the jam. Uh, I know it's on the end of the hop, but there's another track. I think it's the end of the jam, uh, where you know there's this little skit that they have. Like they're in the car. They're in a car. They just, I guess. Uh, had a had a night out or something like that and i don't know they just obviously the whole thing is about they they basically sound exasperated it's just like oh this night sucks like, we can't keep doing this kind of yeah. these kind of nights so, you know you gotta yeah. stop uh it gotta stop burning the candle at both ends so to speak and i kind of just i i always always gravitate to those two because they're so sparse and then there's just the rest of the album around it and I kind of just wonder, were they trying to do something with that? Because I feel like with the skit like that, there's a lot of albums that have stuff like that, where they have like small skits in between, you know, laid through, and they're trying to create a story out of that. But I feel like there's just something missing with that, because there's just two of them, and it doesn't go into huge detail <laughs> about uh, uh, in terms of what they're talking about and just what they're doing. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a very... Again, it's a lot to like about this album, but I feel like there's just always... It feels, I don't know, like 90% there. And I'm just wondering where's that 10%, if that makes any sense. Um, I'm not saying it's unfinished, but 
uh, I, I just don't know. I feel like there's just something that needed to be there, and I can't really fathom what it is. Um, you know, the beats themselves are great, but there's no. But it's it's kind of like people's instinctive travels, but not fun. Because the because the reason why we like instinctive travels, even though that's very erratic in the beat choice and everything just goes all over the place, and every time you listen to it, it's very varied, and you learn and you get something new in your ear every time. This one's just like it's varied, and it's just that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I find I find it so it's it's a, it's, a, it's a good album i like listening to it but i always just feel like objectively there's just something missing there and i can't put my finger on it as to what that thing is but uh, yeah well i mean i think any group that's put out three arguably classic albums in a row is going to struggle with the fourth because sure you think about every single fourth album you know look at Stankonia, for example, is a wild album. That is a wild album. Look at 808s yeah. is a wild album, yeah. you know. So Kendrick, I know that he had Section 80, but I think his next album is also going to be pretty interesting, like where it goes, because these artists that we see who really push the envelope, you know, all those artists I just mentioned have all pushed the envelope, and you can, you got to keep pushing the envelope. And as much as I adore those first three albums they tracked a lot of territory over those three albums. Like, where do you go next? And I feel like Beats, Rhymes, and Life is kind of a placekeeper almost in their discography. Like, it feels like the natural extension of the low-end theory. Um, I actually think it's better produced than that album. I definitely see the Dr. Dre comparisons and shared influence here, especially on Mm. a track like Get a Hold or Crew. Like, make sure that the percussion is on point and then add, like, this perfectly curated flourish and I think, you know, the fact that this album featured a significant drop in sampling, if we remove the anomaly of the pressure, which had 15 samples, it doubles their <laughs> next highest. So so it's like, if we remove that, um, this album only has 30 samples. That's two per song. The first three albums had 3.8, 3.8, 3.3, respectively. So this album at two, the next is 1.5, and their final is 1.8. So it's a clear drop-off, and it's a clear change in direction production wise and you can feel that you know i i feel like q-tip was trying to revisit his words on space and kind of update them for a mid-90s project like that dynamic you know when i spoke about it last week when he was talking about low-end theory and how he how much he loves space and the space in between things and how much silence says and things like that Mm. i feel like what we get is something that's deeply sourced from the early 90s but the beats they really do knock, man. They really do knock. They sat beside anything oh, yeah, that dropped. Great. You know, they sat beside anything that dropped that year. Um, and the album went number one. So it's Tribe's first ever number one in a year where there was incredible competition at the top of the tree on the Billboard 200. They actually ended a four-week run at number one for it was written by Nas. So you know, it was it was very um, it was very commercially successful. And I don't think we can discount the impact of Dilla on the sound of this album. Because there's a simple grace to a Dilla beat. There's like an elegance that really fits the aesthetic of Tribe. And he contributed mm-hmm. heavily to Once Again. And I really feel like that's Fife's most chilled vocal performance. Like even his voice sounds different on that. And I think, mm. again, I mean, Tribe's doing this whole pull the wool down over your eyes thing where the lyrical content is deeper than it appears on the surface. Because it's dealing with a lot of contemporary issues 
and you know maybe a bit of a meditation on early tracks like show business because it's certain that at that point in time tribe were fully entrenched at the pinnacle of hip-hop so tracks like the hop hit on traditional tribe topics like poverty and racism and i think the criticism that was leveled at them uh for being a bit more bored on this album because this is a real thing people said that they sounded bored people sounded said that they sounded overtly aggressive like too uh cynical or Mm. too frustrated because it's and and i hate that criticism when i read that i'm like do you even listen to early tribe like did you really listen and at the same time i do understand because i came in here last week and said for like 10 years of my life i didn't understand tribe you know, I was I was vibing to it. So, you know, you might put on um, whatever, man, put on Midnight Marauders and you're just bopping along to it and then you hear Beats, Rhymes, mm. and Life and you're like, where the bops? Where the bops at? Like, what's this? Why are you so angry? Why is this so aggressive? Why is this so dingy? You know, so I do understand it. It's but very like mellow. It's, yeah. At the same time, if you're gonna if you're going to critique it, maybe go a little bit deeper and try to understand because I see a group totally at ease and comfortable expressing themselves in whatever way they desire without worrying about the misinterpretations or like the misreadings of the listening public, which is actually something I always saw with Tribe, you know? But I never felt it as much as I do on this album. Like on the hop Q-tip raps, MCs be ready to die because I'm a killer, which to a lazy listener sounds like a backhanded diss to maybe Biggie, right? And mainstream rap in general. Because Ready to Die was Biggie's first album. Very mainstream. You know, there was some criticism at the time of um, Diddy and Biggie and their stuff together. And, you know, so you're just like, man, why? Why would you? But, like, you listen further. He spits all your negative feelings standing on two feet while I make the hotties move to the hip-hop beat. Like, there's bars like that sprinkled throughout the album. And I don't think it's it's not a diss. Like, it's just as it's, it's complex. It's more complex than that. And I don't think it's as downward-facing as most people claim. And I think that is why it's not spoken about in the same way. Because people were like, you know, I, th- I genuinely feel that's the reason why it's not really spoken about. It's not really, people don't go back to it. People don't place it on the level of those first three albums. And I think, you know, this, the Diller production is just amazing. Like, it's minimalist. You know, and that was different at the time. That was not a thing. Like, but it, it's a thing for a Tribe because their first three albums were big expressions. You could say the low end theory not so much, but at the same time, it was still a big expression in what it come out nineteen ninety one, nine ninety two. So it's a it was a big change. And on this, yeah. it's like very tight. It's very focused. And I think like once again, for example, because I think that directly leads into the love movement because people call this an R&B crossover and I certainly feel like that was the beginning of one of their most influential and underrated periods and I think it's a great album I just think I don't know I do understand what you're saying and even even though I've just defended it and said I really do think it's unfairly uh pushed to the side I still can't put it on the same level as those first three albums um but I think that's and why it's not a shot by the way like to say that it's not it's not exactly a hot take to, to no. say that it, it can't it can't hold a candle to three like you know ninety to one hundred rated out. Like, but it's a good album, thing. but like, like it's it's not it's, even yeah, a. Beast Rhymes Life is a good album. It's, it's a good. great it's album. Good. Like it, there's nothing wrong with it. I don't I don't see anything wrong with it at all. You know, it would be like, a classic on a lot of people's discographies. This is very true. This is very true. But I mean, it leads into the love movement. 
which is uh woof. it's gonna be interesting discussion this one the booty <laughs> the booty oh eh, eh, uh, eh, the, the booty, booty. <laughs> Okay, first off, that's probably like the first and only tribe song that I probably skipped to be clear. Oh, sorry. Oh, that, 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 that hook does, does You're not, not down do with the booty. I'm sorry. You're not down I'm, with the no, booty. I'm down with the booty. I'm down, I'm down with the booty, but not that booty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. shit. It's so jarring. <laughs> the booty. It has a bit of that body, 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 body feel. Like, it's just it, it, like, it does. It's very, it really fucking yeah, it's does. Very you overt, are, isn't it? You, you very took overt. the words out of my mouth. Oh gosh, I don't know, man. I don't know. But anyway, um, <coughs> yeah, this this is obviously the most um, uh, contested <coughs> album, I guess, uh, in in their discography in terms of like, is it good? Is it bad? What's the what's the deal with it? What's it supposed to be? Nah, 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 nah. Um, <coughs> I think something you said. I think it was either after the record, after last week's recording, or just uh, before this one. Where you, where you said uh, someone told you that basically, um, you know, Love Movement set a tone for, you know, a lot of other albums that came out after it. Yeah. And that really got me thinking about this album, obviously, as a whole and just its legacy, so to speak. Because there's a... It's, it's, I, I, I put it similar to, like, something like... Uh, something like... Um, I won't say I won't say it but I'll probably say something like Jesus, okay? Because like, I feel like Jesus as an album, not to just make this kind of retrospective, but I feel like Jesus as an album was obviously that thing that came out and it was just like, huh, uh. mm, yeah, mm, I, I I I don't know about it. <laughs> I don't know about this one, and you know I can see I can see why people would go to this album, uh, uh to to uh, to love movement and just go. Um. Yeah. This. It, mm, I. I'm. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about this one. Um. But for something like Jesus now, and the fact that you know, uh, what's a what's who's a good who's a good child of Jesus? Uh, oh, Playboy Cardi. Everyone I guess that's a good is a child, good child. XXX was a great child of Jesus. Like all that kind of aggressive, yeah, uh, sure. industrial kind. I mean, Cardi. Yeah. Like you listen to a whole lot of Red. There's a lot of Jesus in that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, you know, there's and for the love movement, I feel like there's a lot of hip hop that I can listen to now, and they have those eclectic uh, mishmash of a lot of things. Mishmash is probably a uh, I, I say that in the highest of uh, highest of ways. <laughs> people, I think some of people see mishmash as a bit of ah uh, yes, negative, the Grammy but, category know, think... for the album with the best mishmash of 2021. Uh. <laughs> What that 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 quantifiable amen, concept amen. of mishmash? Amen, <laughs> amen. I, I love me, I love me mashups. Okay, I love my mashups. <laughs> yeah, you so do. Let's, you let's do. not get. I, I love me my mashups, so let's not get it twisted. Um, but you know, I do feel like this album has a lot of um, a lot of experimentation. I feel like that's where you would that's where you would get into with beats, rhymes, and life. But I feel like they obviously clearly they were just like let's just do something completely different with this and you know whether you think they succeeded or not uh i do think with this and also mentioning diller again 
uh, with the fact that he was involved a lot more with this. Obviously, find a way, absolute b -b banger with capital B, um, absolute classic track. <clears throat> you know, that's Uma. That's 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 him, Q and uh, Ali. So you know, it's <laughs> it's there. There, there are some, there are some good things about this that make this album worth listening to. Um, again, is it their best album? No, of course it's not. Right? Is it? Does it hold a candle to the first three? No, of course it doesn't. Right? But that's, I don't think that's what we should be doing with, uh, with these, um, because they're just so. Um, cause when, because when you deliver three albums on the, on the, uh, on the trot of that quality, of the quality of Midnight Marauders, Low and Theory and Instinct of Travels, right? Fuck it, man. Why wouldn't you? Why, would, why wouldn't you? Similar to, uh, similar to Kendrick in some way, right? Why wouldn't you just go, fuck it, let me just do a whole metaphorical allegory on uh, God calling me, me not picking up the phone, and then, you know, and then a uh, and then this is what God feel like, you know, <laughs> you delivered an absolute classic in T-Pab, and you're just like, let's just fucking go for it, and, you know, delivers just some absolute, an, an absolute big, big swing, and obviously that one home, that one damn went for a home run, Love Movement, you know, bunted a single, right, <laughs> for, for, for my baseball people out there, right, but, you know, regardless of where the, where the ball went, um, on the field, so to speak, keep track of my keep track of my uh my imagery here regardless of where the ball went uh whether it went out the park or just dribbled on the floor i do think again that this made some uh this gave some people a blueprint again same with jesus a blueprint on how to do something um it's it's kind of like that sacrificial lamb album yeah, there's always those albums where like you listen to it and you're just like, I see, I see, we trying to do here, but it just it, just, it, it didn't work. It, it didn't work, right? And uh, you know, just getting some getting some of these tracks, you know, obviously find a way is great. The booty is not. <laughs> uh, stepping up is great. Uh, Common ground, I like that. Give me with Noriega, who did not did not see. I would I just see Noriega on the on the feature. It's just like okay, let's go for it. Let's see what happens. And you know, it's very they they, they ride on the New York thing a lot, which I which I which I love. Yeah, man, Noriega slapped that to be honest. Um, and you know, uh, you know, and I actually got into the I got into the limited edition uh, bonus tracks like you know Hot Sex mm. and uh, uh, Scenario Remix. That Scenario yeah. Remix. I love that scenario hey. remix, bro. Hey. That is a heater. That is Jesus Christ, that remix. That's one of the best remixes. I like scenario, but I love the scenario remix. I will be real, I will be real with you. I love the scenario remix. Um, but yeah, man, that's obviously bonus tracks. But, you know, there's some good stuff on here. And with, at risk of repeating myself, I just feel like this is one of those albums that, you know... Didn't quite hit the mark, but it really set a blueprint for a lot of other albums that came, you know, just after it. Um, you know, really gave obviously the blueprint for Dilla's whole career. Uh, gave the blueprint for you know some of Common's more eccentric work. You know, like Wolf Chocolate, uh, any, anything Soulquarians. I feel because um, obviously Dilla was a part of that as well. Uh, Electric Circus, you know, and a lot of other things that I could, if you gave me a couple of days, I could probably get a list of, like, more contemporary works, you know, have these 
that have these, you know, just very eclectic um, elements where you, you've you've heard these things before, but not in this kind of way, if that makes any sense. So, uh, you know, it's one of those albums that can be appreciated for what it is, but um, as a general listen, it's 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 it's, it's aight. <laughs> it's aight. It's interesting that they've got a song called Buster's Lament, and Buster doesn't even really pop up on it except for his ad libs. Yo, yo. Anyway, yeah, no, I, that was um, a bit. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> the Buster and Red Man track yeah. is fire. That's that's a great song, man. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Find a way too. Find a way's always been in heavy rotation for me. Uh, I actually texted Charlie. It was a while back because I think it was probably when we thought we were going to do both these in one app, and I was just like. Man, this album is overheated, and this out this song is great. And Charles, like, yeah, it's good. But like, I think, you know, you said a lot, and and you said a lot of accurate stuff. It's it's a fascinating album in the fact that um, just it's the way it was received is poor. Like, it's genuinely poor. Like, it has a sixty-one review aggregate score. Uh, their average is eighty-three, and this is their only album that's ever gotten below an eighty, and it's sixty-one. Sixty-one is low. For the for people, you know, this that's a low score, and uh, yeah, the the person mm. that Charlie mentioned, I was talking to him off wax about. I have a good friend who grew up on Tribe Called Quest, and this was back when yeah, this album dropped back when albums were thirty five dollars. You can only buy one a month, so you were stuck to listening to the same piece of music for a minimum of twenty eight days. And if the album you bought was trash, he said you had to find a way to love it, to live with it, and you know, there's no way you were wasting that thirty five dollars. I had to do that with Jackpot by Chingy. I had to do that shit. I had to. I bought that. Ooh. Right there. Right there is a stomp. The rest of the album. Right that's a that's a sleeper. That one. <laughs> that you got to let that grow on you. I'm still putting it in rotation, hoping that it will it will it will grow on me. It hasn't yet, but um, you know, that was like 16 years Shout ago. Shout to Speed Underground too. Say again. Shout out to Neva Speed Underground too. That had that track on there. <laughs> Yeah, man, that's a beast. That's a good song. Holiday Inn was a good song too. But um, yeah, so he had to do it with the love movement. And uh, what you what he began to appreciate was that he felt that no one had released an album in the mainstream like it before. And in hindsight, that it was hugely influ- influential. And, you know, it's a hip-hop album about love, but not love, peace, and unity. It's kind of like a meditation on relationships in modern time. And it addressed common rhetorics mm. and tropes. You know, Q-Tip name drops Plato, Freud, and Aristotle in the very first verse. And then, you know, he goes about bearing the narrative like his heart plays out with no shame or sense or, or censorship. It's, it's very interesting. Like, on Find A Way, he speaks on a teenage crush, and he definitely pushes that vulnerability, whilst Fife explores the blurred lines between friendship and romance. Then Q-Tip dives into lyricism versus simplistic romantic messages on Stepping It Up. You know, he kind of blend, blends a hip-hop trope with a pop trope when he does that. So it's very interesting, you know. Like, I think the criticism could be for one or two re- one of two reasons. Uh, maybe they locked themselves into a mundane topic and f- people felt it was a bit of a cop-out and that was a bit too far from their ethos because love is love, bro. It's been sung about for thousands of years. It's like everyone's mm. done love. You know, it's it's a thing. Like the Beatles created their whole f- platform on love. You know, so it's a very it's it's you know it's simple. Like it's a simple thing. And the other reason why I think that criticism is that um, 
Other than LL, no one in the mainstream was making entire love-themed albums, and not even LL was really doing that. Like, he was... And yeah. LL, the way LL did it was different. You know, LL was more... You know, ladies love Cool James. Like, that's his that's his moniker. So it was like... Yeah. With Q-Tip and, and with Fife, it was like they were bringing that... That that more boom bappy '90s hip hop edge to songs about love and like addressing it from that angle where uh, LL was more about the romance. You know, people call him the Dirty Macking King because yeah, he was he was he was a sweet talker, he was a smooth talker. But then look at the other albums that went top ten that year. So we had the G Code by Juvenile, No Way Out by Diddy, Harlem World, Money Power Respect by LOX, uh, My Homies by Scarface, Capital Punishment by Big Pun. DMX is dark. Uh, Noriega, um, Volume Two by Jay Z. So, you know, if if Lauren Hill's Miseducation was the blend of R and B and hip hop that was needed to create the space for Andre to do Among it up below, yeah, yeah. I mean, and then Kanye on Eight Awaits. Like the Love Movement, as Charlie said, created the space for the Soul Quarians to explore this side of their artistry, whilst keeping it true to hip hop. That's the key. Because Dilla, Q-Tip, and Ali's beats would not be out of place on any of the aforementioned albums, yet the content was the key because what it did was it married like traditional rap bragging with romantic intent and romantic musings. And I think that was rare. So I think it was very influential on... And I don't know this for sure, okay? I don't, I've never, I'm not spoken to these artists, but it feels like it created a space for common Andre and the Roots to kind of explore that that side of hip hop and um it's an interesting album man it's an interesting album i i you know i've listened to all these albums a lot over the last couple of weeks this is the album i don't really want to put on if that makes sense so i want to go back to these album there albums yeah. when we said we were doing this as a double week i was like oh yeah that means i go get to listen to these guys again for the whole week but this is the album i was like i should listen to it but i kind of you know <laughs> I will, and I'll enjoy it, but at the same time, I'm not uh, like voraciously consuming it. So I do understand the criticism, um, but I think it was a, it was an important album. And you know what? The, when that guy talked to me, I know you said Yeezus. Uh, when my friend said that that the feeling he got, he explained the feeling he got when the Love Movement came out. It's exactly the same feeling I got when 808s came out because yeah. I was a massive mm-hmm. Kanye fan. Love Lockdown came out, and he was performing it. I forget where he performed it the first time we all heard it, and we were all like what like what and then everyone was like oh man nah nah surely the album won't be like that and then um what was the second single heartless i think (laughs) yeah it was just like and then then 808s came out and we were all just sitting there like what (laughs) what the fuck is this (laughs) what 13 years Uh later very influential now the love movement is not as influential as 808s but in hindsight, it definitely makes sense. And it's a group that's trying to push the boundaries, and I respect that. So I don't think this is the album that broke them up, by the way. I don't I don't believe that this album was so bad that they broke up because of it or that they run out of creative outlets or whatever because we saw Q-Tip drop um, solo project after no. that, and they were great projects. So it's it's not it's not this so horrible yeah. that they had to break up because of it. That's not the case. You know, it's a good solid album, but when you've got three classics and a fourth album that's probably an 8 out of 10 before, it's tough, man. It's tough to keep that run up, you know. Yeah, yeah, man. Um Yeah, I I I, w- I would respond to my with my uh, 
my, with my metaphor, but I still want to get to the end with it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying so fucking desperately to hold it. <laughs> so, hold it in, man. Hold it in. We've got one so hour hope, left. I'm, I'm hoping it's heat. I will thank you uh, for your uh, service. Uh, we got it from do. here. Thank you for your service. Huh? I was just trying to make a joke and it didn't land, so maybe we could just edit. We'll put the elevator music over. <laughs> I'm down bad at the moment. My comedy is low. It's poor. <laughs> Oh, send all the down bad memes as possible, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, uh, do, do, I want you to go first on this one, uh, just right. for just for effect. Okay. Well, uh, so obviously, tribe split up after the love movement, and it was anticipated that that would be their last. Right? That would that would be their last album. They played some shows together on the Yeezus tour, uh, which is surprising after we just mentioned Yeezus. But they explained, and they were pretty intent about it pretty explicit about it it was not going to result in new material it ended up being a performance on jimmy fallon in 2015 that sparked their desire uh and they recorded the album um five thought it was only going to be an ep but q-tip said the energy they had in that performance showed him it would be easy to record an album and it was mainly q-tip and five collaborating apparently they worked really closely together whilst ali was obviously uh elsewhere and it's pretty wild because Fife was sick, man. Fife was on dialysis, so he was very unwell during this whole process. Uh, shout out to Fife because they didn't know how bad it was. You know, um, he died obviously of complications, so it wasn't necessarily that he was he had six months to live, eight months to live, whatever. But you know, when you're on dialysis, it's it's not a great situation to be in, and it was surprising to them when he did pass. It was tragic, obviously. Um, and yeah you know that was rough man that was rough obviously when we listened to the album and it came out and we heard fife uh it hurt it hurt like it it was rough um hearing his voice because uh his voice has always been a very i don't know how to describe it it's comfortable it's comfortable like he's always been on the same kind of energy he's always been very consistent and very enjoyable and just a great person to listen to on wax and when you heard him and you knew that was the last time you were going to hear him it fucking sucked i'm not gonna lie it was it was it was painful i can't imagine how hard it was for them to finish the album up um but yeah man this album like yeah i think it wasn't limited to their 90s sound, but it was always informed by it. So the danceability of some of these songs turned them into fucking anthems. You know, it was very socially conscious, those 52.2% of the bars are socially conscious. It's actually the fifth highest reviewed number one hip hop album of all time, 91 on Metacritic. And Fife became just the third rapper to go number one posthumously. So that was amazing. Um, I think we all know how essential this album is because it's rather than hiding their message in diversion tactics and slick songs which they have before which we've spoken about ad nauseum on this in this thing they kind of just threw it all on the table over some really shuddering and inventive production and i actually remember when my favorite radio host who used to do the lunch show on triple j lindsey mcdougall shout out lindsey mcdougall i'm sure you're listening i'm sure you're listening shout you out uh when he left so he'd been on there for 10 years and he, it was all leading up to this moment, his final song. What was the last song he was going to play? And he played This Generation. And we were just like, we knew. Like, it was perfect. It was so perfect. And, you know, on this album, there's Crate Busters on here going crazy. Hearing Fife in that kind of form was just crazy. Um, 
you know, I think this album has a huge claim on being a classic in the future. I can't think of any artist or group in hip-hop who took 18 years off and came back and dropped one of the most essential and vital albums of an entire decade. I can't think of anyone who's done that. Like, and I, I, I mean, you know, Public Enemy dropped a great album last year. Like, there are, there are examples, but this album went number one. Like, it's fucking amazing, man. And... Yeah, I, I, I just think, I don't know, man, this is a great project. And it's very surprising to me the amount of people who were surprised by how great this is. Like, I think that they just, they, you know, on their first album, I said they threw everything at it. They they left nothing on the table. They fully explored and they just, you know, went off. They just did whatever they wanted to do. And after that, they tried some shit. You know, low-end theory, they try with dynamics and stuff. And Beats Rhymes in Life, they went back to that. Love Movement, they tried something. So they were trying something on every album. I don't think they tried anything on this album. I just think they just spoke from the heart. They, they rapped about what they felt like rapping about. And they didn't try anything at all. They're just like, this is what we want to do. We're going to have insane production. And we're just going to talk about whatever we want to talk about. And it became a very, very important political and social message, which to me shows that this is a group who are founded on a very, very strong basis. Like, it didn't feel preachy at all, this album. It didn't feel like they were trying to catch up to the narrative that was going on at the time. It didn't feel like they felt forced or coerced into releasing something just because they used to be a socially conscious group and now we're in a very, very dangerous time uh, in America and that they felt oh we have to drop something now because we have to speak on it because that's the platform it just felt like I don't know man like it just felt natural it felt natural and uh, I genuinely do feel like it will be considered a classic and I think um, it's going to take us a while to, to see what a feat this was and what an achievement this was um, especially from Q-Tip I, I think his last album was 09 his solo album so it's still seven yep. years since his last solo, I think it was 09. So it's a crazy, crazy, like just, you know, I don't know. It's like a, it's like Mike Tyson coming back and beating the crap out of some new boxer. Like, you know, they, they were still in shape. How is that possible? And um, love this album, man. Will always adore this album. Uh, it was the only Tribe album I ever got to experience when it dropped and got to experience the conversation around it and the movement around it. And um, fuck, man, if that's what it was like back in the day, whew, shit, like, I can see, I can see this is an iconic group, man. I can see why people are so in love with this group. So, yeah, it's a great album. I feel like uh, this album had um, a lot going for it um, when it dropped because obviously with Fife and uh, with the... Uh, the climate of the U.S. at the time, like Trump literally just got elected like a month or weeks before, um, so there was a lot to be down about. Um, I remember, well, <laughs> going back to a our initial conversation of uh, at the start of the show, going like, uh, do you remember when like you you know you listen to sound as soon as it drops? Uh, and this is actually one of them. Actually, now I think about it. Um, it was at uni first year, and uh, yeah, I was just I was just sat on my bed listening to it, um, and like the same as you, obviously, um, it's the first time I got to listen to a tribe album, like you know, when actually <laughs> when it dropped. Um, I've with that with that all said, I feel like um, 
I feel like listening to this album is like so it's such a it's such a fascinating listen to me um I feel like the first half of this album uh is much better for me personally than the second half of the album um I feel like a, a couple of tracks near nearer to the end uh are kind of just they they kind of just happen in their own space and I don't really like see where where anything's going at that point um but regardless of that uh i do love the features on here and they didn't really it's interesting how they didn't actually go just stick with you know buster or consequence i mean fucking oh and john's in there bro <laughs> yeah, they uh, went in. kendrick andre marshall ambrosius uh uh, uh talib and kanye uh kendrick obviously on comrade tokyo um it's, it is is interesting feature list um and that was and that was the one thing i think that everyone got really gassed about when initially dropped because unless you were looking at you know the uh proper notes of it uh you didn't know that these features were coming up so you, when you listen to this live and i see i don't i don't know these were at that point so i was just like or spotify i don't know which uh and i was just like you know you just listen to it, you just press play, and you just see Tribal Quest all, all the time, you don't know who's coming up, and you're just like, oh shit, Audrey's on it. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, like, giddy moments you get throughout this. I feel like the f- the first half of this album just absolutely crazy, like, from Space Program to, like, uh, to Kids, I just absolutely mm. love every single second of that. Um, it picks up for me after... Conrad Tokyo and then Ego and the Donald I like those um just that middle bit I don't know just a kind of I, I get I get a bit lost sometimes listening to it and I think the reason for that is is how how they actually didn't re- they, they they stayed in their lane but also didn't stay in their lane and I don't want to say didn't stay in their lane for, as a as a negative thing because a lot of people you know do hate it when people you know step out of their lane in that fashion it's like stop trying to do something you're not and it's not and it's not in that it's not in that negative way the way i'm saying the way i'm trying to say it is that they kind of went back a lot um there's a lot of like you know rock elements here um there's a lot of um there's a lot of like psychedelia in here as well so they really do go back a lot with like past way before uh instinctive travels kind of music um they they do i think in some ways they do go backwards a lot in how they take certain uh certain sounds um you know solid wall of sound for for one example fucking l john uh uh uh, uh sampling like when when did that when did that og track drop uh, benny the jets in it 73 bruv 73 you know what i'm saying like they they, they ain't some i mean they probably were some shit from the 70s but like they, they ain't sampling elton john and people just sing the travels they're, they're not doing that you know what i mean so it, it really does fascinate me on how they went back with a lot of these uh with a lot of these um samples and just things to take um on um space program they have a, a sample from willie dynamite it's like a black exploitation film from I want to say like the 70s 
like it's 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 just great in in that in that way of just like uh, it, it extending yourself. Uh, there's an emotions sample I know of here. Uh, Black Sabbath from We the People. Come on, bruv. Like who's sampling? Mm. They, they're not. They're not. They're not. They're, from Love Movement to to Peter's New Travels, they are not sampling Black Sabbath. You know, it's got a bit of like so, Stankonia about it, or a bit of like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like that <coughs> rock kind of thing. Maybe yeah, the direction yeah. that we There's expect a, Kendrick to go in next. Like, yeah, psychedelic some, side. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, when he when he does say um on the hard part four, this is a Kendrick thing, by the way. When he says on hard part four, he goes like, uh, um, might mix some soul with some rock and roll. I always, for some reason, think that's going to be the next album. It's going to be sold and rock and roll. Don't know why, but I hope that I hope that theory. Uh, uh, comes out but yeah exactly you, you see where i'm coming from so like they're they're they're, they're stretching themselves um still like at this time they're still stretching themselves for an album that they probably didn't see coming uh until they just saw it until they actually you know said let's do it um and like i said at the start there's a lot of things that went like were, that was going for this album at the time um, and it was a real perfect storm um, for the for this group, and I want to finish on the point that I wanted to make throughout the whole for whole Tribal Quest uh, career, so to speak, and this discography especially. Um, my thing about this group, and um, it's 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 especially with this album because if this album didn't drop, I don't think I would have had the I would have ever had this kind of opinion. So it's, this album really just molds the whole thing for me and really circles it back uh, towards the whole thing. Um, when I think of their when I think of their albums and when I think of when they dropped and how they sounded and what the conversations we have had over these albums I feel like it's not a stretch for me to say um, A Tribe Called Quest as a group really have embodied in their, excuse me, in their time of, in their lifetime of being a group so from, you know, early eight, from the late 80s onwards <clears throat> I feel like they encapsulate hip-hop in its truest essence and what it should be in that front um and that's very subjective because when you think about something like the love movement going back like you said there was a lot of albums at that time that were you know very there was no album like that at that time every all of them well, <laughs> don't want to say they all sounded the same <clears throat> excuse me but um they all were how you think 90s hip-hop sounded. Like, if I said 90s hip-hop, you'll think Volume 2. You would think this. You would think the infamous da-da-da, right? You're not thinking the love movement, right? But I feel, listening to Tribe and taking note of the years they dropped, um, they have, they, they just, for me, have this essence of what hip-hop should have, like, should be in 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 how I think, but also in how, I guess, how they want to do their music as well. Um, so for like, People's Instinctive Travels is eclectic 
it is colourful, it is fun. And I feel like at that point, hip-hop was fun um, in a lot of ways. And obviously you have people like Public Enemy and stuff like those that, you know, took shit seriously. Run DMC took shit seriously. But they also had, they tried to have fun doing it. And then you have something like Low End Theory, which, you know, gets a bit realistic, like we said. And, you know, there's a lot of commentary in on that album and also on Midnight Marauders that, uh, where they talk about label issues and stuff like that. To me, that is that is that is hip hop talking to labels, going like "you lot of bullshitting," and we ain't having that. And obviously, it's kind of losing battle when it comes to core plantations, but you know, that's either here or there. And then you get to something like "Beast Rhymes and Life," where I kind of see it as like a last ditch attempt to, um, not a last ditch attempt, but like. Um, an attempt to say to the people and to say the hip hop because at that point the East Coast West Coast beef was at its highest. It was at a boiling point at that point, right? Source Awards already happened at that front. That was kind of like the last ditch attempt to like say, you know, hip hop is this, hip hop is unity, whatever you want to, whatever you know, uh, superlative you want to put in there, right? And then they're just like, fuck it, it's lost. So let's just try and push it forward. Love movement, eclectic, you know, uh, trying something new. And then it's gone. And then it's gone for until 2016, right? So think about that gap from 98, 99, wherever Love Movement dropped to then. Like, you know, you have the entire Bling era, the, the uh, South rising up, trap music, etc., etc. All the subgenres that came out of those, yada, 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 right? For me, I kind of see that sometimes as like a, not a, not a dead period, but like a creative uh, a creative plateau in a lot of ways, um, and that's just me. And this is this is all kind of the th- like a thing that I'm trying to paint a picture. I'm trying to paint here. I'm not saying this is fact or anything, but I kind of just see that from then on as just like everyone's just tr- like. The money's there, and it's and it's out there to get. And I feel like everybody was just like out to get the bag, which again, not I'm not against, right? But I feel like tw- after 2016, and after when this and around this time this album dropped, I feel like there was a shift. I feel like there was a shift towards like, okay, let's start getting into like some proper artistry again, like you know. At this point, obviously, streaming came through, and the money wasn't exactly. Uh, it, it was. It started. It was starting to thin out. You know, what I mean, it wasn't like the CD era where you know there was everyone was making a, everyone was making money. Um, in this case, in this era, obviously, it's kind of you know a crapshoot whether you actually get money or not. So, what do you do with that front? Like, if you ain't doing music for the money, what are you doing it for? So that's when I feel like when this album came out, it was kind of like a shift personally where I saw it and I was just like, okay, so people are doing it for the art, for the art now. And, you know, again, perfect storm for this, for We Got It From Here, the fact that they got that number one and they got the gold and all the, you know, uh, rightful credit um, that they should have gone. They should have gone. 
but yeah, I hope you are painting that picture properly. Um, because I just kind of, th- I kind of see a tribal quest as like one of probably the most important hip hop group for those reasons, especially because when they dropped, I felt like hip hop was talking. Like, I feel like he was talking through them, and that's a very, uh, <laughs> uh it's a very hoteppy way of saying it. Uh, but you know, it's kind of just how I've it's kind of what I've gleaned throughout these past couple of weeks of listening it's just like they they were always they were always like either a step ahead or staying in the present and trying to talk to everyone at that time um whether it be the show business whether it be the beef uh or whether it be just where you're at in the artistry or whatever um I just feel like they encapsulated a lot more than just being themselves and just being a hip-hop group i feel like there's just a lot more um in their overall aura for lack of a better phrase i think hmm, i mean i think firstly just talking at the macro level about when they were coming up that was a very vibrant period in hip-hop because there was still a lot of uncharted territory so i think those first three albums uh, there was, and even the love movement, you could even point to love movement and say, yeah, there's not many other albums that have ever done that. But, you know, it was early, it was still early in hip hop in the mainstream. So I think it's, you know, I think it may be a bit, uh, it was just a, a creative time. I would ask, you know, you say that uh, at, after 2016, you felt like it was, you know, what did you say, going back to uh, being a little bit more experimental or like, trying to track new land again or being a bit more creative creative and artistic to, yeah like what do you, what examples um would you give to to show that uh well uh tpab for one um i feel like a lot of uh sub genres have gotten into have gotten their foot in the door and uh, have and have given everyone the ability to uh, try and cut out their own niche without um, without compromise in some fashion because and this is kind of this is more I think I feel like this is what I'm saying with that is more of an indictment to <laughs> the years before the the decade and a half before that than what is happening now and it's I guess it's kind of also maybe um a misguided judgment on my front because i have spent the past five years like properly exploring and seeing the you know seeing the landscape for what it is and seeing that there's much more to it and it actually gets into my light note which i'll get into in a sec um and you know the fact that i wasn't really that uh that really plugged in when it came to the 2000s and early 2010s um, well, I wasn't exactly fully into hip hop at that point. Um, so, you know, you can, you can, it's easy to find a hole in that. And, you know, maybe that's just me, uh, in how I've grown up with everything. Uh, that may be just, there may be just a bit of bias in that front. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm <laughs> trying to think of actual specific examples. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> I would shoot the 2000s. Examples. I would shoot the 2000s a lot of bail because, um, 
you know, we've got we've got Doom, for example, with special herbs, and we've got Doom and Mad Villainy, then we've got 808s, and we get Yeezus, we've got Lupe, and we've got Conscious Rap, uh, we had Tech 9 um, we had a lot of under- Aesop Rock, we had a lot of artists that were pushing, and, you know, even though we might say, like, I, I still think the... Um, increase of music from atlanta was different it was different you know when young thug was critical and saying that he was never influenced by andre 3000 yes it's a very ignorant statement i think i mean he it's ignorant on a macro level because andre 3000 at the source awards really showed that the south the south were going to become a part of the hip-hop conversation where they weren't before so even if you weren't musically influenced by him you know they they were helping to bring Atlanta into the mainstream and the South into the mainstream. But then, you know, it makes sense on the micro level because he was heavily influenced by Gucci and Gucci was hugely influential in the mid 2000s. And we get little B like, so, so I, I think, you know, I, I think hip hop has always been evolving. I think it's always been going in different directions. And I think, yeah, I, you know, I just shoot in the two thousand. I don't want to get into a whole two thousands thing, but I just want to shoot them a little bit of bail because there's probably people at home be like, "Oh, what about you know this person?" person? Like, I I did live through two thousands and it was, you know, it was pretty intense. There was quite a lot of stuff going on as well, but um, not yeah, sure. not like the early nineties. Not like the early nineties. I agree with you there. Um, I feel like you know, obviously, I didn't live through that, but going back over things and hearing things like, you know, the way Rakim was rapping. I mean, that's the thing. Like the way Rakim yeah. was rapping is a massive thing. Like we could yeah. point to something similar, like the underground, uh, sorry, the underwater production on trap beats, like with Forty and stuff like that. That's another example of something similar, not not on the same level as Rakim, but like another thing that really changed the direction of hip hop sound. So I do understand what you're saying, but yeah, I think the 2000s was still, you know, it was, it was up there. It was up there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I can I can see that. That's fine. <laughs> How do you um? How do you rank these albums? Uh, uh, going from bottom to top. Uh, Love movement. Uh, got from here. Beast rhymes in life. Uh, people thinks of travels. Uh, which what, what did I say last time? I probably mean not Marauders in it. <laughs> okay, I'll just go lower theory and then mean not Marauders. Wow, man, that's interesting. It's hard to rank these. I'm gonna rank them in terms of my personal enjoyment. Um, Love Movement, Beast Rhymes Life, uh, Low End Theory, Midnight Marauders. Okay. Thank you for your service. People's Instinctive. Because that okay. album is something I will listen to until the day I die. Like, I, there's so much on that album that I still haven't discovered. That, um, yeah, man, I think Tribe, one of the most important groups in history ever, legends. Yeah, big facts, big facts. All right, we shall leave it there uh, and get to light night. And I'm just, I, I, I just, um, I'm just a little sad because, like. I saw a uh, IG story yesterday, and it was this. Uh, it was this woman, um, like for a few for a few slides. Like uh, the point the point was made at the first one, but she just kept going. Um, it was just like uh, she had like this random beat on, and she was just going like, uh, "This is what today's hip hop sounds like." And you know, she was just um, she was just saying like. Uh, 
Nigga, 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 money, money, bitches, 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 nigga, nigga, money, money, bitches, bitches, cars, cars, this, bitches, 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 this. And this is like for free slides, bro, but I was just like in pain, just listening, to, just watching it, I was just like, oh. <laughs> it, it just, it, I don't want to say irked me, but it, it does make me sad seeing that kind of stuff, because, like, as someone that, you know, hello, hip-hop show right here, you know what I mean, it's just, I care. I, I care how people talk about it. And while in some in a lot of ways she is very correct. Like it, it she obviously she she obviously did it in a very blunt way and a very uh, dismissive way, but I can see the point. Uh, the the point was made and I completely understand where she's coming from. And it kind of it it, it just made me sad to to see it. Um because I feel like there is a lot um, of hip hop music that where that isn't the case, um, but it's just not always at the forefront, or it's just, or it's never, or it may never ever be um, the first thing you think about when someone says hip hop to you. And that would be amazing. That'd be an interesting experiment to 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 like uh, poll people and just go like, when I say hip hop, what do you think of? And I don't think people would think of first, like the first thing they think of. I don't. I don't think the first thing they'll think of is like you know anything of the positives that hip hop has brought. Um, they will think you know, I don't know, money, clothes, hoes, or certain artists that are for for better or worse. Um, I mean, it's the 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 positives of hip hop is never at the forefront. And there's a I, it's it just reminded me that there is a lot of people that still shit on hip hop in that way. And again, it's it's a it's it, it, it they're not wrong. <laughs> like, like there's a lot of garbage. Like and and there's a lot of garbage that still does that. It still does that. Nigga, 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 bitch, cars, money, bitch, cars, money, hoes, 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 music. Like there's a lot of that, and that's just all you hear. Right uh, when when you when you put on a hip hop playlist, it's just all you hear. Um, I get it, I understand it, and in some ways they're right. But I do feel like it it minimizes a lot of good things and a lot of good elements that hip hop has and has done over the decades. Um, that just get swept under the rug and just get unappreciated, unappreciated. And it just made me sad. It just made me sad. Like, just just throughout that night, I was just like thinking about it. I was like, people really still don't know. Like, <laughs> and it's just a bit, um, yeah, it's just a bit deflating uh, to think about that. Um, but um, you know, while there, while, while there's, you know, while, while while she wasn't wrong to to do it in that very glib manner, <laughs> um, I just feel like there's a lot that can be. That can be combated, um, but uh, regardless of reason, maybe she doesn't know where to look or doesn't want to look at all. Um, because, you know, you can do... There was actually another conversation going around um, on Twitter the other day about uh, Caribbean, uh, quote-unquote Caribbean music. And uh, there was a lot of people... I think it was off a of clubhouse, uh, one of those clubhouse thingies that was going on. And it, and it kind of bled into Twitter as they all do, and they were talking about how you know Caribbean music is not all you know butter wine and uh, <laughs> uh, and, and it's not all dancehall, 
right? You know, reggae in its in its roots is polit- is rooted in political commentary. Um, that's just one. Like dub sound system music, it's totally different. It's not all dancehall. It's not all bustle wine and you know one. It's not it's not one of those videos you see. I, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if Ben's seen those kind of videos where um you know it's like at a concert or somebody and like a there's a dude on the floor and just like a bunch of women just like fucking clap their cheeks onto his nuts. It's just um it's just yeah it's a bit it's a bit <laughs> it's a bit energetic but um you know it's not all that and it's never but but that's how people some people see Caribbean music whatever you think that is some people just see it as bus wine music you know big energy like you know throw your pum pum like uh, that's all people think but there's a lot more to it um there's a lot more there's a lot more production influence that you know stuff like dub reggae has done like uh, you know there's a lot of that and uh, i feel like hip hop is has that again has has those negatives just thrust upon them and it's the th- first thing that people see um you know same with stuff like rock music in some ways like you know when, when like you listen to a certain rock track and it's like oh no oh heavens that's not how it is but you know people don't put in the time to actually appreciate the art form of whatever you're talking about and yeah, so you know, it's not just hip hop, obviously, um, but in this case, it just really—I don't know—deflated me, <laughs> uh, deflated me in how people, you know, sometimes see it uh, in in the bad in a bad light as it is. It's like that friend you have that is a bit quirky, but you know, people on the outside just don't understand them, kind of thing. It's it's kind of like that. It's like you need you need to get to know him. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Uh, you you need to get to know his uh, sense of co- sense of humor, right? You know, what I mean, it's it's very abrasive, but you know, it's funny when you when you understand his comedy. You know, what I mean, kind of thing. I don't know. It, it was just a bit deflating, but it's what it is. It's weird that that ties into what I was going to talk about because oh, really? interesting. Yeah, so I've tied in at the end, but um, I'm going to get a little bit into this because I want to talk about what happened at the Capitol, but I don't want to talk about it from the. I don't want to do a running commentary. Um. Right. Because I see this false equivalency uh, beginning to develop amongst the masses between the insurrection attempt and the Black Lives Matter protests. Mm-hmm. And I want to speak on why I feel so many people are running with this narrative because I feel like our listeners don't need to have this conversation or they, they're, not, they're unlikely to see these parallels. They're not going to have that false equivalency. Um, you know, if you listen to us at all and you've come back, uh, I don't any see any way you could think that the insurrectionists and the Black Lives Matter protesters are in any way similar. But I would argue that most of my white acquaintances from either school, cricket, work, whatever other sports, hold the belief that the Black Lives Matter protests were excessive and that there's little to choose between those and the attempt to take the capital. And I say this because of the comments I've seen from these people, conversations I've ever heard in 2020, and the general vibe they've given me over the years. So white privilege is a term that we shirk at and, you know, a lot of people in groups, they don't really believe in it. And I've even had someone tell me once that there was no such thing as white privilege because he grew up poor and he had to work for everything he has. So he started from the same as in at one of our indigenous people. He felt he was on the same footing when he was born. It's like it doesn't even exist in their mind. Okay, so it's like this blatant lack of understanding of the world because the system that encounters us, it, it protects us. And I see that with what you're talking about here. It's like, I've tied in early before I continue on, but like, 
that is like in America, for example, I would say the the biggest market for hip hop music is probably white people. Can, do you think that would be accurate to say? Commercially, yeah, definitely. Yes, yes. So we have record labels. We have you know the people that are invested in making commercial commercially successful hip hop, pushing whatever most white people are going to consume to the forefront. So when this person gets on Instagram and says that, and then you say, oh man, that's kind of true. Like that's what we're seeing in the mainstream. I don't see that as a hip, as a hip hop problem. I don't see that as a problem for the, the genre and the culture. I see that as a problem that is uh, persi- like perpetuated by the listeners because that's what they're gravitating towards. That's what they're listening to. They, whether it's voyeurism, whether it's whatever, you know, it's, 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 it's this little ecosystem that creates a lot of revenue that everyone is engaging in and like the real hip hop is being missed because it's not being pushed it's not being it's not being promoted it's not like people aren't listening to it apparently so i think that that ties back into this whole thing with the false equivalency between what happened at the capitol and black lives matter protests because when these people see a black lives matter protest they say oh my god that's horrible what they did to george floyd but looting and burning things down is just rampant violence. That's not fair on those businesses. It's not fair on the good cops. So not only have they missed the entire conversation when they say that, and the 400 years of depravity that led up to those riots, in my country, they've missed it in their own backyard. Because in Australia, we've had 437 Indigenous people die in custody in our country in just 19 years. So I say all that to say this. It's the media, it's the politicians who are brainwashing the majority because I don't think we're born racist and I truly don't believe there's a propensity for it. Even though I have read a lot of scientists, not a lot, some scientists trying to bend themselves over backwards to prove that humans are inherently distrustful of anyone outside their immediate group. There are studies that show that. Even so, being distrustful is one thing, but being openly violent and bigoted has no excuse. There's no biological excuse for that. You know, I've never seen a scientist prove that. And if someone has, please send it to me. So when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about the outright racist people because for them, logic and reality doesn't exist. They refuse to listen to facts. Tying it back into your example, if you showed them, you know, if someone held that belief and just thought that hip hop was just total consumerism and et cetera, et cetera, and then you played the mad villainy, they'd be like, oh, one album. And then you played them 50 other albums that were similar uh, and not about you know, bitches and money and all that stuff, they'd be like, no, no, they they wouldn't listen. That's not about these those people. They're just irrational. Um, I'm talking about the, the vast number of white people that you're not seeing on Twitter or Facebook or IG because they're saying in their private lives, and I know this because I'm part of this group, um, they're saying it's pretty much the same thing. Both riots, both kind of violent, both bad. And I know they exist. Like, I've had these conversations with people and I've had to say, no, 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 it's not the same. It's not the same. So, like, the problem is, to me, like, we, our prime minister refused to denounce Donald Trump or call out their own party members who put up posts, right? This is the party members of the leading party in our country who put up posts blaming the Marxist left wing for the capital riots. These are people, these are elected officials who are saying that. We have political correspondents who refuse to acknowledge white privilege at all. They don't, they don't think it exists. They think it's created by the left and created by minorities to scare us. 
Like they don't believe it. It's so, but it, but you look at it and it is so simple. If black people did what white people did that day, it would have been over in 10 minutes with hundreds dead, right? So what we saw at the Capitol is the most distilled and objective example of that I've ever seen. And yet you still have this huge swathe of people rationalizing it away. And I think, you know, the only reason I'm saying all this is because I want to explain how fucking entrenched this shit is, like, and what we have to do. And so tying it back into what Charlie's saying, there are people out there who believe that. And there are people out there who are saying, yeah, hip hop is just that. Or, you know, it's it's the same kind of mechanism. And like, we're the ones who know better. Like, we have to do better. We have to try. Because for Charlie, for example, he's in a situation where he knows shitloads about hip hop. He knows all these great artists that are dropping all the time. And he comes on this podcast every week and tells you guys about it. And so you don't have to go and listen to whatever. You don't have to just be, oh, Playboy Card is going number one this week, so I have to listen to him. Or Uzi dropped two albums, so I have to listen to him. Or Future just dropped, so I have to listen to him. Or Drake's dropping. You don't have to do that. Charlie's giving you shitloads of new music every week, and his whole platform is based on that. He is doing that. What I have to do is I have to calmly and quietly respond, not quietly, but I mean when I say quietly, not yell at people, which is what I'm trying to do in this. I'm trying not to get angry. But we need to respond to people in our lives when they say problematic things, even if we love those people, even if we're scared of them, even if it's our boss or our coach, or even if it's someone in our social circle with way more clout than us, because it spreads so quickly through silence. And so you see an Instagram post like that, and it gets a million views, and say 500,000 is just confirmed what they think, because they've just been given like this tiny little portion of hip hop. And that's all they've been given because that's just what white people like. They like to engage with that. I see people saying white privilege doesn't exist. Capital rights, same as Black Lives Matter protests. I have to say something. And if you see it too, I'm sorry. But I think you have to say something too. Because that's the only way we can turn these conversations around. Because we're seeing a very small amount of the conversation online. We're seeing a, we think we're seeing heaps. Right, we think we're seeing all these these leaders and all these news sources and everything. We're like, oh man, we're seeing it all. Like everyone's going in on Trump. Everyone's going in on these rioters right now. No one could possibly defend them. You're not seeing the huge amount of people who aren't on your timeline, who aren't on your Instagram feed, who aren't on your Facebook feed, who aren't replying to comments. They're just living their life, reading fucking shit tier newspapers and being like, oh yeah, this is just you know, it's the same. So yeah, I I don't know. I hope I tied that back in okay, but um, it was just something that was irking me a lot because I've seen quite a few people on my personal Facebook who have been saying some pretty like, well, they're just fucking openly racist things. But I I don't necessarily think that they're openly racist people. I think they're just brainwashed people, and um, I just want to change the conversation a little bit, man. It's 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 fucking annoying seeing these people. Yeah, um, I have an interesting uh, uh, article I'm going to read on what's good about it all, so uh, I'll leave my personal thoughts on all of that for later. But um, yeah, man, it's uh, it's <laughs> yeah that 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 Facebook feed must have been a uh, very interesting, very interesting indeed. Uh, <laughs> it's fucking bad, man. It's so bad because yeah. these are people in my I've, I like I played cricket mm-hmm. with this guy ten years ago, and now he's mm-hmm. out here telling me that it's the Marxist left that caused the bro. Do you want me? I know where you live. 
I know where you live. Do you want me to come and sit down and say, look, you are wrong. Why are you saying this? Why are you saying this? Because you have two kids. And now those two kids are going to believe this and they're going to go up and they're going to tell their kids. Like, that's how this shit propagates. That's not even like that person has 50 friends on Facebook. This is not a public thing, really. This is not they're posting it to their Twitter feed. This is not something we're exposed to. This is just something I'm seeing because this is a person I grew up with because I grew up in Sydney. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. holy shit, someone believes this? What the fuck? And I know this person's not that bad of a person. Like, it's a pretty bad thing to say. But I know that they're not like, if I had a conversation with this person, they'll probably listen to me. So it's like, it's not this, you know, those the racist and bigoted people you talk to and they, you can't convince them. There's no point talking to them. I mean, you should try, but like you get five minutes in the conversation, you're like, eh. But there's thousands of these kind of people in the world where they're just misinformed badly. They're badly misinformed. So oh, I tried not to get angry, but I got angry. <laughs> Sorry. All right, we'll leave it at that. Um, ladies and gentlemen. On the Fifth Element podcast. Now, it's been Digger Digits. Hope you enjoy this episode. I've been Chato of the Fifth Element. I've been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. We hope you all have a good week. Education is the only way through for it all. We always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen. Alright, peace. Digging in the Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for this show is piece of video games by bonus points. Thanks to Chill Freckers for the ability to use. Socials for the fifth element, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and Chill Freckers will be in the full show notes wherever you're listening. This has been a fifth and podcast network and hip hop by numbers collaboration. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time on Digging in the Digits.